good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Fantastic. If you're new, my name is Ryan and I'm your pastor and I am excited that you are here this morning. Man, I've just had a really good day. As those of you who know me know that I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. This is America's team and last night the Cincinnati Bungles, those thugs, got kicked out of the playoffs. Now that I'm done sinning in idolatry, let's pray and get to Jesus because he matters. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the, the music that, that was leading us today and stirring up affections for your son, Jesus. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear so that our lives may be changed. God, I pray for those in here who don't yet know you, that you would draw them into your loving arms, that they wouldn't be um, compelled to come to you out of guilt that they would be compelled out of your great love for them. Be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. amen. So we are in a series, it's a topical series called The State of the Chapel, just to go over a few things, and today I am very excited about, obviously you can see behind us, this is not the name that we have gone by for the last however many years the chapel's been in existence, 17 years. Uh, this is officially our name, but I don't want to confuse anybody because we're sort of in this weird limbo. We have the new name, which is the Chapel at Fishhawk, because I, I liked it better than Sunset Bay because the bay is about a million miles from here. So we're the Chapel at Fishhawk, and that's great, and there's a new website, and if you go to that web address, it'll shoot you to our current site. And, and as we're planning what God is going to be doing, I wanted to make sure that we are crystal clear what the vision is and is not for uh, the Chapel at Fishhawk. I almost said Sunset Bay Chapel for the chapel at Fishhawk. And that's what today is about. So first, I wanted to read this. Uh, this, says, this is our vision. So if you could put our vision up. I just wanted to read, us to read together what our vision is. Uh, this is the, what we want to see. This is the big picture. To see the gospel of Jesus, that's the good news of Jesus, that he died for sinners, fill the Hillsborough area and beyond so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. Now, this is some variation of what every church should have. The mission of the church is to get Jesus into the community so that the community is loved, served, prayed for, cared for. And our vision is to see as many people, actually all people in Hillsboro, have a daily encounter with Jesus because we are the body of Christ. That's what the Bible calls us, the body of Christ. So if you want to figure out what you're supposed to do in this world for Jesus, look at what he did in his body and do those things. So walk around caring for the poor, praying for people, encouraging people, loving people, doing what Jesus did when he was in his body. Okay, let's read our mission, and then we're going to jump into some passages. Here's the mission. Here's how we're going to do it. We will pursue our vision by making disciples of Jesus, and this sounds redundant, but it's not, who make more disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. I think too often as, uh, as Christian churches, we get locked into this idea that we have to get people into this building. And then in this building, there's some magic that happens because Harry Potter and his crew are outside doing enchantments and we come to Jesus here only. But that's not how it works. This is just a building to house us when it's 100% humidity and 95 degrees and Jesus is giving us a refuge from Florida. That's what this building exists for. This building exists so that we can bring teenagers in on Wednesday night and they can destroy as much as possible so that we have to have a budget item just to repair what they broke so that they can come to Jesus. That's what this building is for. This building is a shell and it's not the church. We are the church. If you don't know, if you don't know this, if you're unfamiliar with this concept, um, I, I bug every uh, staff that I've ever worked on because every place I've gone, they say, oh, let's go to church or what time is church? And my wife will tell you, my wife hates this about me. Every time someone says, hey, uh, what, when are you going to church? I'll always say, we can't go to church. 
we are the church. We can't go to a building. You can't say what time is church. That's, saying, that's like saying what time is a group of humans. It doesn't make sense. But that's what the church is. And, and this mission here, we will pursue our vision very simply by making disciples of Jesus who make more disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. So it's not about coming here and, and doing the biggest events that we could possibly do. It's about going there and being the most loving, kind, serving, patient, joy-filled people that we can be. It's not just about getting coffee at cafe time. It's about picking a coffee shop where you can get to know the baristas. And you can, um, A, you get free coffee, so that's a bonus. And B, you learn their names and stories, and you get to tell them the good news of Jesus if they don't yet know Jesus. And just in case anyone's wondering, I've already staked out foundation. That's mine. Stay away. I want that coffee. I'm not going to Dunkin' Donuts again. Please don't put me there. That's already hell on earth. Um, Dunkin' Donuts, I mean. Sorry. I'm sorry if you love Dunkin'. It's, I love it too. Not really. Okay. So let's go. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. We're going to be jumping around uh, from passage to passage, but long enough for you to flip there. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. If you're new to the Bible, there's a table of contents. Check that out to figure out where Matthew is. If you'd like to shotgun flip to it, go all the way past the weird names, past Psalms, Proverbs, Habakkuk, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah. Go all the way until you see some names like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you'll find it in Matthew 28. And if you don't have a Bible, you can get fake Bibles on your phone. I encourage that strongly. You can read those when your spouse and children are sleeping. And if you don't have a phone or a paper Bible, the verse will be up behind me. Here it is. This is Jesus. As he's about to leave, says this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Everyone say, make disciples. Of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. Everyone say commission. Okay, just making sure you're with me. This is Jesus' parting words. He's about to go. He, he already did the dying thing for your sins and for mine. He rose from the grave. He's about to take off and he says, all authority is mine. In heaven and on earth, there is no king above me. I am above all. And here is what I want you to do. Go make disciples. And I know, I know, because I've seen this play out in hundreds of churches, that we don't think that that is our personal responsibility often enough. He didn't say go make converts. He didn't say go get people saved and then just keep getting people saved and leave them in their infancy stage of spirituality. And I think that mentality has really jacked things up because there's a, a testimony that's very common that I've heard really over the last five years where I, I get to preach and someone comes up to me and, and all I'm doing is saying, this is the good news of Jesus. He died for sinners like you and me. Uh, a wretch like me is who he died for. And it's free. It's his grace. It's his gift. And I tell people this and, and time and time again, I hear people say, people come up to me and say, Pastor Ryan, I've never heard what you're saying before. I've, I've heard that phrase so many times. Or this one, I grew up in the church and I don't think I was saved until now. And I can't tell you the number of times where people that have grown up in the church, they've gone through their 20s, they've gone through their 30s, they're into their 40s, and all of a sudden God turns on the lights and they think, I, I was just playing the game. I, I, was, I was just doing what I was supposed to do to look good, but my heart wasn't captivated by the love of God. I didn't have a sense that Jesus was my king and here's how you can know. If you are saved, you will pursue this concept of disciple-making. Don't let the word disciple scare you. Uh, we have all these words in Christianity. I call them junk drawer words or stained glass words. They're churchy words. 
Disciple just means a learner, someone who is learning to be like Jesus in this case. And that is all our job is. Now, here's when discipleship starts. I'm just going to let you know right away. Some of you are thinking, I've never made a disciple. I don't know how to disciple anybody. Discipleship starts the very first time you meet somebody. Whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's in your car, whether it's at a coffee shop, the first time you meet somebody, you're starting to give them an impression of who you are. And as soon as they find out that you believe and trust and love Jesus, they're going to attribute all of your actions to what a Christian looks like. So let's just go uh, scenario number one. Let's say you go to a coffee shop all the time, you frequent it, you're addicted like me, you've got problems. You go to this coffee shop, you're, you're hanging out, and you're the most grumpy person at the coffee shop, bar none. Like they give you your drink, and you ordered a latte with um, soy milk because you don't believe in Jesus. Um, and they give you whole milk, and you said, ah, this is the worst drink I've ever had. I don't want whole milk, I want soy milk. And you're grumpy, and you're hanging out, and then all of a sudden, five minutes later, you're in a conversation with a friend, you're talking about Jesus doing your Bible study, and you're the grumpiest person. The barista's like, yeah, look at this grumpy Bible reader over here. And then all the customers and all those baristas, they've been discipled to believe that that's what a particular brand of Christianity looks like. Or let's say you're like me. Um, right now, I've been borrowing a car. One of the members here has graciously loaned me their car, which is awesome, except for the fact that it has a Jesus fish on it. I mean, I love Jesus, and I love fish, but I don't drive like a Jesus fish should be represented driving. And I have to remind myself constantly, this is not my car, there's a Jesus fish on it, and it's not my car. So, so I take all the back roads that I can, and when people cut me off, I'm like, just don't road rage. And you guys know the story. Last time I road raged, Jared was on the phone on accident, and he heard all my road rage. Um, that wasn't good. But, but I, I'm discipling people by the way I drive. I'm, we're discipling our children by the way we act. If we act one way here and another way at home, we're discipling our kids that what, we, what mommy and daddy do is we pretend to love Jesus when other people are around us, but when the doors close, it doesn't matter. This is discipleship. It happens all the time, all around us. We're always doing it. Now, Jesus said, here's the mission. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into a specific name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. So that's all our job is. We want to get them a new identity. The baptism is an identity, and it's the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The, so everyone here has a dad of some sort. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Some of us didn't have a dad around but we, we all have this notion of what a father could be, should be, would be, is. We're baptized into the identity of a father. So if we all have the same dad, that makes us what? Brothers and sisters, siblings, sons, family. We are family. And just like an earthly family, some of us are more normal and some of us are weird. Just like an earthly family, some of us are very kind, some of us are very angry. Just like an earthly family, we have our spats and our battles. Just like an earthly family, we could get in arguments on Thanksgiving dinner. Just like an earthly family, but we are God's family. God is our father, we are his kids. So that's our first identity. That's why every day, every week I get up here, I say, good morning, chapel family. We're not chapel friends. We're not chapel acquaintances. We're chapel family. That's why I want you to get involved in small groups and DNA groups. We're going to talk about that in a little bit so that we can look at what it is to be God's family. The second is that we are baptized in the name of Jesus, uh, the Son, baptizing the Father, the Son, Son, Jesus, Jesus, King. King has servants. So we're a family of servants. We are here to serve others. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I think sometimes we get that backwards because in our culture to serve is to be weak, but in God's economy to serve is to be godly, 
To serve is to have the Spirit of God doing in you what it did through Jesus when he was here. And then lastly, we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sent one, the wind, always moving, always going, always on mission. So we are a family of servant missionaries. And we are to bring people into that identity, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded him. We make disciples of Jesus. That will be our mission, to make disciples of Jesus in this way. Now here, here's where it gets kept, uh, a little tricky. Not all of us can talk to strangers and lead them to Jesus. I totally get that. I, I don't know why God does it this way. I think it would have been so cool if we could all do it, but then it wouldn't be as diverse and beautiful of a picture. But, but here's, here's how it works out. Today, right now, we've got uh, anywhere between 12 to 15 people working in various ministries behind there. So like the kids' rooms, they have the adults and the student helpers, the people in cafe, the people that were greeting you, the people that were handing out information, meeting visitors. Then we got the guys in the tech booth. They're always in that black cloud back there. You can't even see them except for their beady eyes. When light shines back there, they're like alligators in the night. Um, and then you've got the worship people, the choir, then you've got me. And so often we think that, that it's, you get all of this together, and then the, the, the preacher preaches a sermon, someone comes to Jesus, discipleship done. But that's not exactly how it works. That's just the beginning. And every single person here is part of leading one person to come to know Jesus and become a disciple. Because here's how it is. Somebody gets out of their car, and they're angry at the world. And they just feel like, I've got to go to church. Something's got to change in my life. And they walk down this, this side of our church, which right now there's this mystery smell that I can't figure out what it is. If you can, God help me, because I can't figure it out. So they walk down here, they think, wow, this church smells weird on this side. I think it's bats. I don't know. Anyway, side note, they get to the greeters. We have some of the friendliest greeters most of the time at a church that I've ever seen. You know, because they're actually smiling. I love that. I love that they're smiling. Every week I try to get all jacked up on caffeine, so I'm bouncing around and the greeters laugh at me, and then they're smiling for sure. They get greeted and they think, oh, this person's friendly. And then they go in and we have guest services. And then guest services tax them like pumas. And they get your information. And they give you cars and stuff. And it's amazing. And then, then you get back to where the kids are. And if, you're, if you've got kids, if you're dropping off kids, it's like a line back there. But you feel good because you're going, you're like, hey, there's other families here. They must be doing something cool for families. And then you see the hand sanitizer. And you're like, thank the Lord they're clean. Squeeze, squeeze, wipe, wipe. Here we go. You, dr you dump your kids and you get your sticker. You come in here. You're looking around. You're singing music. It's dark. It's loud. What's going on? There's choir singing. There's a giant Jesus. Why is there a giant Jesus? That costs a lot of money. No, it didn't. Jared made it. And then all of a sudden, as you're singing, as you're singing, you're getting so pumped up. You're like, this is so cool. This isn't what I thought. I thought church music was like haunted carnival music and people in suits about to die. No, it's totally different than that. And then a guy comes up and says, we're going to pray for a missionary. We're sending this girl in her 20s around the world when girls in their 20s usually are like chasing careers or men or whatever it is. She's like, no, forget, forget these men. I've got Jesus, man. She goes around the world and we're sending her over there with 250 pairs of underwear. Weirdest church ever. And then I say, you know what, we're going to take a little pause. Let's hit the pause button, boom, boom. Go get coffee because I'm addicted, you're addicted, we're all addicted. Let's get coffee together, come back in, and then plug into Jesus. All of this is forming one disciple because there's one new person in the crowd that's like, these people are terrifying. This is a church full of extroverts. Where's the back row? Where's the exit door? But then all of a sudden, before they know it, a month and a half later, they're here hugging people, loving people, using sanitizer as much as I am. This is how disciples are made. And then we, we don't just plug in on Sunday and eat one big spiritual meal and then jump and starve the rest of the week. We actually love each other in the middle of the week, but, but I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's keep going. We make disciples of Jesus. Now we're flipping to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. You can flip there if you want. If you're flipping there, it's to the right. If you're looking on the screen, it's behind me. 
Here's Ephesians 4. So first, we will make disciples of Jesus. The second line is, who will make more disciples of Jesus? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for doing the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for doing the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. So here's God's plan. We're going to make disciples. Jesus has all the power. Jesus is always going to be with you. He says, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey what I've said. And then he's going to give us a blueprint through the Apostle Paul, through the apostles, and he says, this is how you're going to do it. God's going to give certain people to the church, and they're going to raise up the saints, that's you all, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. And this is a backwards thing in American Christianity. Most churches operate like this. We've got a few paid staff or volunteers that carry the mother load of the work, but that actually never gets much done. That creates sort of a spiritual orphanage where a few people are caring for the spiritual needs of a lot of people who, who then don't get to care for the needs of the neighbor people that are already in our lives. And this is what this verse is getting at. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. How many of you guys are natural, um, you would self-describe yourself, natural leader, you're very organized, like your desk, it is pristine, you've got a place for every post-it. Anybody like that in here? Okay, so the apostle types, you're the organizers, you've got the, the picture, you want to get everything done, you want to make sure everyone's on the right track. We call these people wives. Um, I'm just kidding, baby. And, and the apostles are those in the church that have that leadership gifting, that I will, I will organize, I will aim, I will put us on this track to go this way. And then we've got the prophets. Those are the people who, who have a high value for truth and... Uh, they, they're not afraid to say it out loud. Like, any, anybody know somebody like that? Like, whatever's on their mind about God and justice, they want to say, but usually they're God and it's their version of justice, and they exercise it on us. So it's like me. When I got up here, I made fun of the Cincinnati Bengals for being thugs because I'm a prophet and I want to speak truth to y'all. That's why I did that, for your good and my joy. God gives apostles and prophets, people who are not afraid of pressing into the truth, to say this is what God is about. And, and we need to turn from our self-centered ways and turn toward God to make more disciples of Jesus, to build people up. We have evangelists. Evangelists are the people that um, I'm not sure if I am one. People tell me I am one because they say you could just walk into a bar and lead someone to Jesus. Like, yes, that's true, but I don't know if they're drunk. Like, that kind of plays in. But I do, I just love talking to people. I could strike up a conversation with anybody, anywhere. It doesn't matter how hard-hearted they are. It doesn't matter if they think that I am this, their enemy. I can sneak in, and I just, I don't know why it is, I just have this way of being like, hey, you know, put my arm around someone, buddy, buddy. And I don't know if they're scared because I'm huge, and I'm like enveloping them. I'm like, you cannot get away. But whatever it is, I, I, I love doing it. And I'm not afraid of it. I just say, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for me, and this is what he wants to do for you. The evangelist. Some of you have that gift. Some of you are shepherds. You care for people. Your heart just bleeds for people. Some of you are teachers. You could take complicated truths about God and make them understandable and digestible. All of those roles are given to the church to equip the saints, equip everybody to do the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? Caring for the poor, the widowed, and the orphaned. The work of the ministry is encouraging those who need hope. The work of the ministry is bringing the presence of Jesus into the lives of people who need the presence of Jesus. So that's our mission, to make disciples who make more disciples, who are reproducing. 
of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Here's something that, um, it always happens, and I'm not, I don't ever get mad at this, I'm not against this even, but so often as a pastor, you get approached with ideas. And I love ideas. And usually on a given, in a given month, I get about 150 ideas from different people. And they say, we should do this, and I, I'm encouraging you guys, I want you to do something for Jesus. If you're doing nothing for Jesus, I don't care if you do wrong things for Jesus, I just want you to do something for Jesus. And we have great ideas, because churches have been doing ideas for a long time. Um, somebody give me things that churches do. Any church. We're not picking our church. Don't throw out a church name. Just give me things that churches do to try to attract people to their, their flock. Barbecue. Who doesn't love a good barbecue? You don't love barbecue? We, people do need Jesus here. <laughs> barbecue is amazing. As a side note, for my whole life, I've called the actual thing that you cook on a barbecue, and I've been corrected numerous times since moving to the south. That that is not a barbecue, that is a grill, and the food on which you put there is then barbecue if you season it correctly and don't burn it. So anyway, side note, barbecue, church barbecue. Let's have a big old barbecue out there. I'm not opposed to barbecuing. If we're going to have a barbecue here when I'm the pastor, we're going to dig a giant pit and put a Hawaiian pig in the ground. That's the way I'm going to barbecue. But a side note, I don't think that that's the most effective way because people don't want to naturally come to churches anymore. In case you haven't noticed, churches are dying. And it is sad. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart every time a church has to close its doors. And as these churches die, I think some things that have happened in them is that we've looked at what churches are doing around us. We look at what the big churches do. We look at what this church does. And we say, let's just do that here rather than saying, what does God want us to do with our own lives? So instead of having a barbecue, because let me tell you, it is way weirder to say this line. Hey, do you want to come to a barbecue at Sunset Bay Chapel? Because then all of a sudden it's like a thing. Rather than this, hey, do you want to come to a barbecue or watching a football game at my house? And we're cooking a bunch of dogs and burgers. Now, as a guy who formerly was not a follower of Jesus, if someone invited me to a chapel barbecue, meh. If someone said, we're having a bunch of burgers and hot dogs and we're watching football at my house, I'm way more inclined to go there. That's the kind of barbecue I want you us to have. Because some of you may say, I don't know how to lead someone to Jesus, but man, I could kill it on a grill. I can, I can make this barbecue, this burger where you, you don't even cook it with heat. You just smoke the whole burger and you put these New Mexico chilies in it. Where's Chuck at? Oh, those burgers, brother, they're so good. Chuck could kill a burger. And I don't know if Chuck could bust out Romans Road or the whole gospel, but some of you in here can. I don't, I don't know if Anyone in here could actually lead someone to Jesus by themselves effectively because God is three in one. And he, and he used his community to display his goodness and kindness and love to us. And I think that's what he wants us to do to others. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So as they see us loving each other well, then people say, that's weird. These people like each other even though they're different. Even though they like different music. Even though they have different backgrounds. Even though they have different beliefs about spirituality, these people like each other. Even though that one's a Democrat and that one's a Republican and that one's a Libertarian, they still share a table together. Miracles can happen. Now this is what we're supposed to do, make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. I'm, I'm going to read this real quick um, and I'm probably going to skim some. This is what the disciples did in the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. This was in Acts chapter 2. 
they devoted themselves to simple things. I don't want us to become a church where we have a Discipleship 101, a Discipleship 201, a Discipleship 301, and you, after you do that, you do Evangelism 101, Evangelism 201. We're not that. This is not what the chapel is going to be. We're a church where we say, what is the everyday stuff of life that, that I'm already doing? Where am I already going? Who am I already talking to? How can I bring the presence of Jesus, the love of Jesus, into those relationships? And I love that the Bible talks about breaking bread together. And I don't think it's talking about just communion. I know a lot of churches say, well, we can't neglect to just do the communion. I don't think that's what it meant. I think they ate together all the time. I think there's something amazingly spiritually brilliant about God doing that. When God was thinking all this up, however his brain works, he said, you know what I'm going to do? The, the, the creation that's going to be made in my image, this is brilliant. This is brilliant, the father says to Jesus. And Jesus says to the father, what is it, father? And Jesus, the father says, check this out. We're going to make him hungry. We're going to make them so hungry that they have to eat every day. And if they don't, they get angry. And if they get really hungry, they get hangry. And they just can't stop it. And we're going to make it so they depend on food. And we're going to make it so that they have to harvest it together and work together to get their food. And they've got to work in teams to do it. And then Monsanto comes and just ruins it all. I'm just seeing who's an activist here. Every time you sit around the table with somebody, I want you to think about this. The God of the universe wired us to need food to remember that we need to be fueled to live. We need to depend on something else other than ourselves to live. And God made us community-oriented like he is so that we don't have to waste those moments. Sit around a table with someone today. Make up some chili. Get some spaghetti. Go to Publix and buy 10 Cubans and invite over a neighbor and say, let's watch football. And then begin to disciple them as you love them and as you love others that are there with you. Because they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another in the everyday stuff of life. We don't need to do 100 classes. I just want us to begin to connect. So here's what I want us to ask. What would it look like if we lived like missionaries here versus thinking that missionaries go somewhere else? That's the shift I want for all of us. And there's a very unique thing that happens when you do that. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad we got to pray for a missionary today because it just fit with my message. When you go to another country, you do this. Okay, where are the people? What language do they speak? What are their customs that I need to know about? What areas of brokenness can we bring hope to? Now do that for Fishhawk. And some of you are thinking, wait a second. Be a missionary in Fishhawk? Be a missionary in Pleasantville, California, or Florida? What do they need here? They've got everything. They've got the Cadillac Escalade. They've got the three-car garage. I'll tell you what they need. And some people that are here, they need a triple measure of hope. Because there's some people that are in this community that are at the end of their rope. They're going to work and they're sick of their commute every single day. They're coming home and they're wondering why their kids aren't what their kids are supposed to be. They're coming home and they're wondering, when did I fall out of love with my wife or with my husband? They're coming home and they're thinking about their kids who have moved out, and they said, I wish my kid would just come back to the Lord. I wish my kid would do this. I wish they would get their life together here. This is the hope that's needed here. And we're not going to do that by inviting as many people here as possible. We've got to get you trained up and sent out there in the everyday stuff of life. I love events, don't get me wrong. And one day we will have a uh, couple Kahlua pigs put in the dirt out here. Um, if you want to put a number on it, let's just say, um, oh, for sure, when we pay off this building, 
I'm going to roast a bunch of pigs, and I'm going to wrap them in bacon and cook them on top of other pigs. Um, yeah, because I, li- I don't like debt. Debt is dumb. But anyway, that's a side note. So here's what I just did to you. I just said, do, 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 do. This is what you got to do. You got to do all this. Do, do this, do this, do that, and then you'll be a good Christian. But here's what happens, and I, and I sort of Tarantino'd you. This is what most sermons that I hear from average churches sound like. And, and I hate to be such a Debbie Downer, but I just am some days. Here's what an average sermon sounds like. It will say something like this. You are not fill in the blank with some Jesus-y, churchy sounding thing to do. You should be fill in the blank with that same Jesus-y, churchy sounding thing you should do. So right now the sermon's gone like this. You are not yet, maybe, making disciples. You should be making disciples, therefore go and make disciples. This is the average church sermon that I hear. You're not doing this. You should be humble. You are not humble, therefore go be humble. And and there's a problem with this line of thinking. The problem is, is that this is not the good news of Jesus. This is some sort of moralistic behavior shift that that pastors are trying to make on the American people. This is not going to compel you with love. It's more like trying to beat you into submission with a spoon. So here's what I want us to think about. Two words. Everyone, you, you gotta, these are mouthful. Unless you're an English person or a language person, you're not going to know these. Everyone say indicative and then imperative. So one more time. Indicative, imperative. An imperative is a command. Everyone say command. Do something, don't do something. An indicative is what has already been done. It's a fact. It's true. It's a done deal. Now, here's what the Bible does. The Bible always, without fail, will not give you an imperative, a command, something to do or not do, without giving you the indicative, the what has been done. If you ever hear a command say, do this without a what has been done for you first from Jesus, then you are no longer in Christianity. You are outside the bounds of what we call good news of Jesus. The the Bible constantly gives you what Jesus has done and says, now because of that, go do this. And if we don't get that motivation right, we get jacked up. If we don't get that motivation right, we end up more burdened than we were when we came in the door. If I came up here today and said, the chapel exists to make disciples, go make disciples. You'd walk out and you'd try. You'd get, maybe you'd get a discipleship book. Maybe you'd watch a YouTube video or three. You'd say, man, this is hard. But if I come in here and I tell you what I'm about to tell you, that there is some mega good news about what God has done to get you. Now go make disciples out of that love that he has for you. I think it'll make more sense. And this is never how Paul, Paul or Jesus, they never just gave commands without giving you the whys, the W-H-Y. They motivated the church in light of the resurrection and the outpouring of God's spirit. The typical problem is that when you divorce the the indicatives from the imperatives, when you divorce what God has done from what we are to do, it becomes impossible. And I've been under that religious burden before, trying to pull myself up by my bootstraps, trying to do good on my own. I'm just going to be better. I'm just going to figure it out. And it has never worked. It's, it's sort of like this. Right now, um, we're a bunch of messed up people that need Jesus all the time. When Jesus died, there was a vertical connection from us to God, Jesus paid for it fully. 
You are paid for. Every sin that you've ever done, every sin that you've ever thought, every time you've ever cut somebody off, flipped somebody off, drank too much, um, been angry too much, whatever you have done, every time that you've, you've done things out of your prideful desire for people to notice you, to be the center of other people's attention instead of God, all of that sin, Jesus said, I paid for it all. You have no more vertical condemnation. From God to you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean there's no horizontal consequences, but it means there's no vertical condemnation. And here's, here's where we get this from. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in this passage we have the indicative, you've been saved by, uh, faith, through, by grace through faith, now that you've been saved, walk in these good works that God has prepared for you. Here's what I want us to, uh, to think about. Always start with how messed up you are and how good God is towards you. Because this week, I had someone knock on my door. And I, I normally don't entertain people from cults. I normally don't. Because I think it's unfair. Um, and if you're from a different religion that is labeled as a cult from Christians, I, I'm like, sorry, but... At the same time, it, it's just, it breaks my heart. So Miss, uh, her name was Linda. I called her Miss Linda because I was trying to be polite. She was older than me a fair amount. I would say a good 50 or 60 years older than me. And she came up, and, uh, and I opened my door, and I was getting ready to go. Uh, so I, I, was, I just made an omelet, um, and I was like, I've just got to get with my day, eat my food, get out the door. So my omelet's made. I set it on the table. I opened the door, and then right then I knew. God was like, you're talking to these people. Because usually I think, just ignore these people. And I knew I was supposed to talk. So I opened the door, and she said, Hi, my name is Linda. This is my friend so-and-so. I forgot her name. And, uh, and she said, Have you heard of the good news of Jesus? And I just feel so bad for him. I'm like, I have. Yeah. Well, do you want, uh, do you want to know more about hope today? And I was like, I do. But like the real one, the real hope. And she said, I got this pamphlet. It's about the good news. It walks you through the good news of Jesus. And I was like, Lord, just let me out of here. Come on. Like, she's old. She looks nice. And all that rang in my ears was, she's apart from me. So I'm like, oh. I'm like, Miss Linda, put your book away. Without looking in your book, I need you to tell me, what is the good news? So she started going through it. The good news is that, that God sent Jesus to die for all of our sins. That is so true, Linda. You could have not have nailed that better. Okay, so um, is this good news free? Like, how do you get this salvation? Well, what you do is you, you obey God's commands and you do good because God loves you, so you do good. Okay, yes, God does love you. Yes, you should do good things. None of us here should be getting worse as we go along. We should just be realizing how much worse we already were. That's how real Christianity works. But Miss Linda kept saying, well, no, you do good things. I said, okay, wait, wait, Miss Linda, let's... Let's go to the Bible. And she said, let's. And she said, let's go to John 17, 3. And she starts reciting it. For God so loved. I'm like, no, Miss Linda, that's John 3, 16. It's at the end of every end zone in America. How do you get that wrong? I didn't say that. But we went to John 3, 16. And I said, Lord, bring us to a good passage. Bring us to a passage where I don't have to argue about the Trinity and, and whether or not Jesus is from an angel or who he is. And all of a sudden, I'm asking her, what's the good news, Linda? You, I want you to explain it to me. Don't bring out your book. You use the Bible to explain it to me. And she's flipping it like this, telling me how it's good news. And the whole time, my daughter Savannah is bringing me drinks. 
She's bringing me a Gatorade. She's bringing me a water bottle. My omelet's getting cold. My wife knows what's going down. And I'm like, come on, Jesus, get her to a good path. She's going like this. And she lands her Bible open, not looking at it, talking about what her version of the good news is. And she lands on this passage right here. And I look down and I see her Bible in Ephesians 2. And I'm like, no way, Lord. Because the problem with Jehovah's Witness, the problem with Mormonism, is that they're trying to earn their way into salvation. They think that their door knocking, they think that their good behavior is going to get them God's favor. And I'm praying the whole time, God, give me to a passage that I can use from their own Bible, which is a little bit tweaked, to talk about your son and the free gift. And she's doing this whole thing, this dance. And she goes like that. And I looked at her, I'm like, Ephesians 2, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. And I'm like, oh, Miss Linda, playing it all cool with my 17 Gatorade bottles at this point. <laughs> let's look down at this chapter right here. And I said, let's read this. And I had her read it to me. And she said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And I said, Miss Linda, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? That it is by grace, grace is a free gift, grace getting what you don't deserve. You don't deserve it, God gives it to you. You have been saved through that free gift, through faith, and this, this faith, that faith isn't even your own doing. God looks down at you and said, you are so troubled and reckless, I'm gonna give you faith to believe in me so that you can be saved, and it's not of your own works. It's not of your own doing. God didn't say, you are going to get yourself into this. God didn't say, here's a ladder, start climbing. That wasn't his move. God said, you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. It has nothing to do with you. It's a gift. And I said, Linda, Miss Linda, tell me, what does that mean? And she said, well, it means that you, that you will be saved if you obey what Jesus told you to obey. And I said, I don't want you to read into this, Linda. This is basic. Just from this verse, are you saved by what you do? And I was, at this point, I wasn't getting mad. At this point, I was actually getting sad. And, uh, and my wife knows, when I get sad, it's like DEFCON 5, because once a few tears leak out, my gate's open, and it's over. So I'm, I'm starting to tear up. <laughs> Look at this verse. And... Uh, and she said, no, no. She said, we got, we got to keep reading. Because if you keep reading, it says that we're created to do good works in Christ Jesus. And I said, yes, but you're getting the horse on the wrong side of the cart. You don't, you don't do good works, and then Jesus will finally bump you in the cart. <laughs> you get saved, and then he drags you into good works. When the Israelites were enslaved... He didn't say when they were in their slavery, building the mud bricks, God didn't whisk in on a little chariot and say, here's the big 10, you guys, follow them, and I'll get you out of this mess. He didn't do that. He came in, he said, Moses, you throw this down like a ninja, you take them out, I'm going to rip the sea open, you're going to cut across, they're going to come to the mountain, then I'm going to give them my commandments. As we're writing the commandments, they're going to be making a golden horse, a golden calf, and then you're going to go down, you're going to see that as I saved them from this, ripped the ocean apart, did all these plagues, they're already going to be failing me, so I want you to chuck those two down there, we're going to rewrite them again, we're going to go down, we're going to make these people eat the gold, and then... This is, this is how salvation works. You are jacked up, enslaved, and God's not going to wait for you to get good enough. He's not going to throw the commandments at your dinner table and say, once you follow these, then you shalleth be blessed. <laughs> He's going to say, you are messed up, jacked up, 
I'm going to come save you, and then I'm going to show you how I wired the universe so that you can begin to know how to live in a way that is for your good and joy as you are connected to me. And here's what we turn Christianity into. A rule list of do's and don'ts. If I don't do this, or if I do this wrong, God's mad at me. I'm always on eggshells. I don't know what to do. I, does he love me today? I didn't read my Bible. I, it's only January 10th, and I'm already eight days behind in my Bible reading plan. Will he still give me his favor? This is the game we play. We're laughing because it's true. We're laughing because some of us have already given up on our resolution, and we think God's mad at us already. And here's what I need you to know. That it is not of your own works that you are saved. Titus 3, 5 to 6 says this. He saved us. It doesn't get more clear. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. His own mercy. He didn't look down and say, look at these shiny, perfect people. He looked down and said, I need to give these people my mercy because they are going to tailspin into death forever apart from my love. So he sent Jesus to do what we could never do. Galatians 2, 16 Another verse, I'm just going to read the first part of it. Yet we know that a person is not justified. Justified is a stained glass word. It means made right with God. A person is not made right with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. This is how Christianity works. This is all I want the chapel to be about. I don't want us to be about the church that, that throws the best community events, although good community events are good. I don't want to be known for community events. I don't want to be known as the church that, that has cool Jesus signs or, or stage sets. Although, cool stage, I love this. I told Jared, I said, next year, I'm putting this on my roof at Christmas time. It's just Jesus all up in my neighborhood. Then my neighbor's going to be angry. I'm like, I don't care, it's Jesus. It's his holiday that we stole from pagans that they're stealing back from us with shopping. I want us to be the church where we know that Christianity it's about God's love sending his son Jesus to die for sinners like you and me. Not God sent his son to die so that we could be the same political party. Not God sent his son to die so that we could be kind people who pretend we're better than we actually are. Not God sent his son so that we could feel the burden of religion like if we don't do this then, or do this right, then God will be mad at us and put his thumb down on our life and pop our tire or make us lose our job. Not that cheap, nasty disgusting version of Christianity, but the one where God says, I see my kids, they need love and hope, I'm sending my son Jesus, I'm not putting down a ladder, I'm putting my son on a cross, and that is the way in. It's in that type of living that we can finally find peace from the religious duties. So here's what the chapel's about. We're about being a family of servant missionaries who plant ourselves in this news so deeply that when we hear something that sniffs of religion, this do or don't do or you'll die or don't die, that when we hear someone that tries to put one more religious burden on us, that we say, no, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like it's all about Jesus. And I know what some of you are already thinking. Some of you are thinking, if we let people know that they're this free, they're going to go on sinning. And I get accused of this all the time. Ryan, the way you preach encourages people to sin. You preach God's good news and grace and free favor so much that you're going to encourage these people to sin. And my answer is always the same. They were sinning fine before I encouraged them. They don't need my help. You just don't know it because they're good at hiding it. What I'm giving people is the good news of Jesus, the news that our heart and soul long for, but churches are afraid to give out because as soon as I give it to you, you're free. 
And I don't mean free with strings attached. I don't mean you're free, but now don't do this. You're free, but now there's this caveat. Freedom literally means you are free. When I first got here, I was preaching this so much in the Gospel of John that someone came up to me and said, if I'm so free, Pastor Ryan, I don't think I have to give money. And I said, yeah, but if you're so free, you're going to start giving more than you could have ever imagined. There's a story of Abraham Lincoln. Went to a slave market and he bought a girl. And, and the girl, allegedly her face was one of disgust and anger that she was getting purchased as a slave. And as they walked from the slave market, Abraham Lincoln said, you're free. And this young African-American slave, she said, does, does that mean I can do whatever I want? And Abe Lincoln said, yes. And then she said, does, does that mean I could say whatever I want? And once again, he replied, yes. And then she said her final question, does that mean that I can go wherever I want? And he said, yes. And as the story goes, the young girl paused for a few moments, looked at him, and the demeanor of her face changed, and she said, then I think I'll go with you. That's what an encounter with Jesus is like. It's not that I'll give you all these rules, and if you follow them, then finally you'll be free of cancer, you'll be free of this sickness, you'll get free of this jacked up relationship. It's that God loves you so much and sets you free and says, I love you with all my heart, and I'm going this way. And that's how we are to make disciples. We turn to our neighbors and say, I love you with all my heart. Come on, I'm going this way. Some of you here today, um, you don't know that. You haven't experienced that freedom. And I know it because I listen. And I know it because churches are filled week after week across our country with people who have been stuck in this religious game and they feel burdened and not free. They feel unloved by God. People are stuck thinking that they're not too bad and Jesus died for just a little bit of their sin. What I need from you guys today is to, um, to give that up. If you've been in church your whole life and you're thinking, I've never done that. I've been Miss Linda at the door thinking I'm earning my way in. Then you might not have been in the family. And I want you to be in the family today. So I'm going to invite up uh, Jared and I want us to sing one more song today. And, uh, and as we sing this song, or as they sing this song, I don't even know if I want you to sing. I want you to uh, think about where you've been. And this isn't about some emotional thing. It's are you free or are you not? Have you been trying to play the religious game where you're earning your way into God's love and kindness? Or have you finally got to the point where you said, I, how could I ever measure up? I need Jesus. That's the stance where we have to land. How could I ever measure up? I need Jesus. And as they sing this song, I, I want to just think about the words for a second, and then I'm going to come back in and, and talk one more time. And then we're going to head toward the end of our eternity together. <laughs>